Epiphany BK, how you doing? I am happy to be here. I love to see what the Lord is doing. Last time we were on at the other spot, the little lounge, where you'd be preaching and then the spilt liquor would be making your, <laughs> making your feet sticky as you walk. But to see what the Lord has done, it's, it's listen, the, the feng shui up in here is crazy right now, though. Like this little wooden situation with the lights, the Lord is doing some things, boy, I tell you. But I'm happy to be here. My wife wanted to come. Uh, she couldn't make it. We're actually having another baby. Praise God for that. You know what I mean? Excited about that. She has real tough pregnancy. So I said, babe, why don't you just stay at home and let me go suffer for Jesus, eating, you know, good chicken and waffles and all that, and laying in a king bed. Why don't you just let me, I'll go suffer for you, baby. So my good friend Chuck came with me. I'm very grateful for him. Uh, and I'm just happy to be here to share the scriptures with you yet again. <clears throat> Get with me if you can. I'm in James, the fifth chapter. James, the fifth chapter. I'm going to start reading at the seventh verse. James, the fifth chapter. Start reading at the seventh verse. It simply says, when you're there, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits until the precious fruits of the earth being, there goes that word again, patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be, be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And as an example of suffering, there goes that word again, patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. There is the reading of God's word. Father, we do thank you for the abundance of your goodness and mercy that has been given to us so richly in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Lord, that you took the brunt of all of our sin from the past, present, and future upon your back on the cross of Calvary. Uh, and Lord, that you resurrected vindicatively to bring authenticity to the message that you had been proclaiming on earth. So Lord, I pray that you will sit me down right now. I pray that the powerful working of the Holy Spirit will stand up in me. Lord, Ernest Grant, Ernest Cleo Grant, please the fifth. And I pray that you will stand up and testify on behalf of your son. So, Lord, we thank you today and we give you honor. Bless the listening ear. Bless the person that came here, Lord, on empty, on fumes, barely making it, not knowing uh, what they're going to do from day to day. Would you encourage their hearts and their minds? Would you give them great grace right now, Lord, as they don't know how to handle themselves for the next week? So, Lord, speak to the hearts and the minds of the people. We pray right now in the name of Jesus and all the people of God that agree with that say, Amen. oh, yeah, y'all got it. Y'all got it. Amen. There are a number of cliches, a lot of nomenclature, a lot of phrases that proliferate as truth in God's church. We say stuff like, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. 
knowing that the gospel requires us to use words because it's a communication of some timeless truths. We've also heard it said before that God don't like ugly, right? Now, we know that God don't like ugly, but it's not necessarily us. It's the ugliness of our sin. And therefore, he gave us the anecdote to our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But today I want to preach from a topic that's not necessarily a cliche that we use, but rather it's a mantra or philosophy that I think many of us live by. It's one that we say commonly and we use it to, to help ourselves therapeutically as we're going through adverse difficult situations. It's the word, it's the phrase, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And I'm sure that you're aware that this can't be found necessarily in scripture. I'm sure that we can derive it some places if we did some detailed exegesis. But the origin of this phrase is often disputed. Some would argue, some historians say that we need to attribute it to a 13th century Persian poet. Others say, no, we need to credit it to Jewish folklore. And honestly, we don't necessarily know the the, the origin of this phrase, but this is what we do know. We often use it in the context of a very painful situation. It's, it's, It's used in an unpleasant situation in which things seem to be unraveling all around us. When we find ourselves broke at the end of the month, we typically say, this too shall pass. When we've been having a hard time at the job and it doesn't seem like we're ever going to be up for a promotion and we've been laboring and struggling for quite some time, we typically say, this too shall pass. When, when we've been struggling with depression and, and, and can't take enough pills in order to calm our anxiety, oftentimes, rather than running to the scripture, we use this therapeutic phrase to help us deal with the problems associated with our difficult situation. But as we look at this phrase this morning, I have a question is, can this phrase... Can this mantra, can this cliche, can it stand up to the scrutiny of life? And can it handle the the weight of the scriptures? Well, I would say in certain instances, this has absolutely been correct. Some of our difficult situations have not lasted always, right? We are all living examples. We've all had some adverse periods in our lives. You remember that really, really broke season that you had. And you said, God, can you please just bless me with a job making six figures? And the Lord said, no, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm not going to give you six figures, but I'm going to give you a strong five. And I'm going to give you a little bit of money left after you pay your Sally Mae bill. See, that season of brokenness passed. Or, or, or some, of we, some of us have been in a situation where we really wanted some companionship. Ladies was looking for a man saying, God, would you please bless me with a man that looked like ghosts from power? <laughs> Jesus, can he have, you know, beautiful hair and high cheekbones and all that? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, I ain't going to bless you with ghosts because those dudes normally cheat on you because they're so pretty and the options is plentiful. But w- what I'm going to bless you with, I ain't going to bless you with ghosts. I'm going to bless you with Glenn. 
Yeah, Glenn don't got a six pack. Matter of fact, he got a dad body. But 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 Glenn loved Jesus. Glenn Glenn gonna make sure he loves you. And Glenn is gonna not cheat on you. You know what I'm saying? So 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 we've been in positions in which we've said God has allowed some adverse situations to pass from our lives. But here's the question that I have. How does a phrase like that reconcile the contradictions and the paradoxes of life? When someone has been pronounced with a terminal illness, when they have brain cancer, geoblastoma, emphysema, what do you do then? Is it appropriate to tell them that this too shall pass? What about when someone's life has been drastically altered by some unspeakable tragedy? Is it appropriate to tell them that this too shall pass? What about a mother whose son just got caught in some gunfire? And she's inconsolable. Is it appropriate for me to tell her that this too shall pass? Or when the fire starts in an apartment and a whole building burns down. We saw on the news recently a, a home burned down in Union, New Jersey, Union City. And a child died in the fire. And I sat there watching the TV almost unconsolable and sad. And I just said to myself, what would you say to the mother? That just lost her two-year-old. Would it be appropriate for me to say, this too shall pass? No, I would, I would say that this phrase, although it does in some instances stand up to the scrutiny of life, in other instances it falls short and ultimately it can't stand up to the pressure of the word of God. The sister read earlier 2 Corinthians 12. Speaking of Paul struggling as he was has a, had a thorn in his side. Some scholars would suggest that he was struggling with malaria. Others would say that, no, he had a vision problem. And he asked God three times, God, can you remove this pain from me? And the Lord didn't say, this too shall pass. The Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. What about when my Jesus... Pastor Brandon posted a picture of him in the garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was praying in the garden and struggling with a condition called hematidrosis, that's when the capillaries in your veins begin to break. And then it mixes into your sweat glands and great drops of blood was coming from Jesus' pores. And he's asking God, God, can you allow this cup to pass from me? God didn't say, the Father didn't say, this too shall pass. He said, you've got to endure this situation. You've got to go to the cross. You've got to withstand the fiery judgment of the wrath of God so that the people of God could ultimately live in victory for eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here's my question, church. Why do we use phrases like this? that we know are wholly unbiblical. Why do we do it? Why do we seek to pacify ourselves with phrases, nomenclature, ideologies that we know have no biblical basis? I'll tell you what it is. It's because we 
like to use phrases as therapy for our souls. We use them for therapeutic purposes. Let me see if I can illustrate. A few weeks ago, my daughter, 15 months, she's a piece of work too, boy. She, my house is so dirty now. My house ain't never been dirty. I got a touch of OCD, so I don't like my house all out of shape. But anyway, my, my, my daughter wasn't feeling well. Her temperature, her, her, she had a fever, and it kept on creeping up. Started at 102, went to 103. Finally, we got concerned when it got up to 104. So I grabbed her and took her to the doctor's office, laid her on the table at the doctor's office. And I said, Doc, her temperature is high. Surely it's something going on. Something really terrible is happening. He said to me, he said, sir, I know you're concerned. It's clear. Your head is sweating. It's clear. I know you're concerned, but I'm not so worried about the temperature, her fever, because that's her body's natural response to fighting some virus or pathogen in her body. But what I do notice, sir, is that she is very uncomfortable. So therefore, why don't you give her some Tylenol? in order to help her deal with the symptoms that are associated with her discomfort. In church, in the same way, we use phrases like this too shall pass, like Tylenol, to help us to deal with the symptoms of waiting on God. We don't like waiting on God. We don't like being patient. We want everything when we want it, how we want it, and the minute we want it. And if some of us are honest in here, some of y'all are really upset with God. Because the life that you thought that you should have been living, you ain't living it. The career that you thought you were going to have after you took on this huge student loan, now you're doing some old medial job that you hate. Doing some stuff, you got more debt than you've ever had. You're living in a cramped space and you're upset with God trying to reconcile how my life could be the way it is when I thought that it was going to be much different than this God. I hear the Lord saying, be patient. You don't have a panoramic view of history. You don't know what type of things I'm trying to rid you from. You don't know what it is that I'm doing. I need you to be patient with me and stop seeking so much after instant gratification. Furthermore, what I would need you to do is mourn the life that you wish that you had. Cry your tears, then get up, wipe your faith, and walk in the power of the gospel for the life you do have. Uh I know this ain't necessarily what you wanted. I know you didn't envision your life like this. God knows that you didn't see this on your path when you were 15, when you wanted to be a neuroscientist, but yet you went to school for psychology and now you're working at some job that you don't understand. Or like, God knows what's going on. But you're in the process right now. He's working with you. He's, I'm getting too far ahead of my notes. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I was about to hit y'all with an analogy, but that's later in the sermon. (laughs) But listen, some of you guys are 
in a sanctification process. Imagine yourself as filthy clothes and you're put into the washer machine. The washer machine doesn't doesn't clean your clothes immediately. It has to go through a process. You got to have detergent and you got to have some hot water. And then the agitator has to beat your clothes back and forth. And then after it beats, then you have to take it out and put it in the dryer and let the heat cook it a little bit. All I'm saying is some of y'all are just in the spin cycle right now. And God is trying to rid you of some of these impurities that you have in your life, but it's going to cause you to just be patient, just to wait on them. And sometime, even though you're in the spin cycle and you're turning around, sometimes God will open the hood, look in there and say, oh, he needs another rinse. So I'm saying be patient with God. God is doing some things, but we've just got to wait on him. The book of James has the highest construction of what we call imperatives. It begins in the first chapter and says, count it all joy. Brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now James, the brother of Jesus, bookends his statement with another imperative here in chapter 5, verse number 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until when? The coming of the Lord. What that means is that patience is a virtue that you will have to exercise until Jesus comes back. So you might as well get used to waiting on God. The word patience here is an interesting one. It's markothumio. Now, I'm not Greek, so I probably said that wrong. But, 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 but what it means is like large heat, large heat. It's, it's where we get the idea of thermometer. So it's the idea of us preserving in situations that we don't like and are very, very uncomfortable. That's what James is trying to get. So, so, so to be patient means that we have to endure the discomfort, the paradoxes, the pain, and the peril of life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, and I, he's saying, I know you're going through a pressure-filled situation, but even while you're experiencing this pain, I don't want you to be a complainer. I don't want you complaining all the time about your situation as though God has somehow forgotten about you. As though he's turned your back to. But what that doesn't mean is that means we still can voice our frustration to God because the Lord is a worthy recipient of our pain. The Lord is a worthy recipient of our laments. I think about David in Psalm 10 running for his life, fearing for his life. He looks up to heaven and he says, why, O Lord? Do you stand afar off? 34 34 chapters later, he turns around in chapter 44. He says, why do you hide your face from me? Jesus is a worthy recipient of our complaints, but you got to realize that when we're waiting on God, what he's seeking to do is transform our character. Because see, a lot of us get the natural really good. We're studious. We're, we know how to make things happen, but we don't get the super right. We, don't get, we, we understand supernatural, but we, don't, we aren't really reliant on the power of God. We're more reliant upon our own abilities 
to make things manifest or happen, or we're more reliant on our own skill to make stuff happen. We believe in our own ability to talk our way through a situation rather than getting on our knees or fasting and praying and asking the Lord to help work it out. We are so dependent on ourselves. How God has to show us that we don't have the power to overcome these situations on our own is by sitting us in the crock pot of his patience. We want to be fried. We want to be cooked quickly. <laughs> Shut up. That's a <laughs> but God is saying, I need you to take some, t- I need this to, this, this, this to take some time. I need some patience from you because I'm doing something that you just don't know what I'm doing. So, so when we think about patience, we know what it is. Now we know the what, but, but when should we apply patience? And I would argue that there are a number of contexts or circumstances in which we need to display patience. The first one I can think of is when you're dealing with some type of nuisance, Right? When you're dealing with some type of nuisance, right? Like a, a set of circumstances that really irritate you. Let me see if I can make that more Brooklyn. Uh, uh, you, you, you have, a lot of y'all have, have, have positions and you have what's called coworkers. And, and, and maybe, I'm, I'm in full-time ministry, but I remember being, working in the workforce and I would have coworkers that would gossip all the time. Get on your nerves, talk trash to you. You have 100 billion nerve endings in your body, and your coworker knew how to get on each and every <laughs> one of them, right? Knows how to get on each one. But, 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 but while you're dealing with your coworker's gossip, be patient. Be patient. Maybe it's not your coworker, maybe it's your neighbor. You got a little flat, and you're at the bottom, and your neighbor just seems to have Tim boots on and walks all night long playing the loudest music in the world. You didn't even have roaches until they moved in. Now all of the roaches that they have have moved in your house. I would tell you to be patient, but you need to say something. You need to say something about that. Look, look, you need to say something about that because roaches are the devil, doc. Roaches is the devil. That happened to me, boy. I'm from the burbs, so moving to the hood, the roaches from next door would come in and you know, come into my kitchen. I go down there, turn on the light, and they looking at me like I'm infringing on their business. I turned the light off and went back upstairs. I said, my bad, guys. My bad. This your house. But you need to say something about them roaches and that music. But I'm, I'm saying that to say, be patient. Endure that situation because that's not ultimately where you're going to be in life. Where you are now is not ultimately where God is going to have you for perpetuity, but there's some really important things that you can learn in the immediate. I remember when I was a little boy, about nine years old, my mom wanted to take me to Disneyland, right? So we were going over to California. I was excited. I'm like, yeah, I got my Mickey hat. You know what I'm saying? I got my little shirt tucked in with my little Mickey belt and pants. I was, I was killing them. We get on the plane, 
And before we got to California, we stopped in St. Louis. So I was like, Mom, what are we doing in St. Louis? She said, baby, you're only going to be here temporarily. But even though you're going to be here temporarily, I want you to stay focused ultimately on where you're going to be. In other words, what she was saying was, baby, don't confuse your layover with your final destination. So all I'm trying to tell somebody in here today is, don't confuse the layovers in your life. Don't confuse the holding patterns in which God is trying to teach you something with ultimately where you believe he's going to take you. But realize that you got to go through a process before you get to that destination. So enjoy the process to the glory of God. But you got to deal with the roaches. You got to deal with the co-workers. But there's another context in, th- in which I think we need to exercise patience. Some of us feel like we're in a holding pattern in our lives. We've gotten bored. We've gotten upset with God because it seems like we're doing the same monotonous things time and time again. It's like God... I want you to move from the history channel to the current events. But you seem to not be moving very fast, oh Lord. Where are you at? What are you doing? I've been doing the same things, God. When are you going to show up? Well, let, let me say this while you're in your holding pattern, while you're being patient in your boredom, that there are many people that would love to have the problems that you have. There are a lot of people that would love to have the first world problems that we all experience on a day-to-day basis. We see that with a lot of our brothers and sisters that are being deported, who are away from their families because of an executive order. So now they go back to Mexico and other countries and then don't even know where they're going to even work to provide for their families. They would love to be here serving God in a church and not have to worry about ICE coming in and deporting them to another country. So, I, so, so, so in your boredom, in your holding pattern, it's very important that you put it in context. Not just to your situation, but to uh, what's happening globally and locally. That your situation isn't as bad as you really think it is. Because you can get up in the morning and go to your job, and they don't pay you a whole lot of money, but it's enough to keep the lights on. It's enough to keep some food on the table. It's no one breaking into our churches with AK-47s, making us make a decision for Christ. We've got it good here in America, even though it's, you know, mass incarceration. There's some problems. I won't preach about that, but there's some issues going on. But nevertheless, put put your pain in context that it could be much, much worse. It could be much worse. And finally, probably the most serious context that we have to exercise patience in is when we are suffering. I'm talking about really suffering. When you've been battling some type of disease that you haven't told anybody about. When you've been battling some sickness. When you've been pronounced with being schizophrenic or bipolar and you're afraid to tell people because you don't want them to look at you funny. When you've got Crohn's disease or you've got a lump on your breast or your testicle that makes you nervous or you have constant headaches, you've been suffering, going through real hardship. That is when we have to really exercise patience. 
But it's the type of patience in which we know that we don't suffer alone. Because we have a Savior that walked on this earth 2,000 years ago that empathizes with our pain. He empathizes with what we're experiencing. He knows what it's like to be a refugee, to be fleeing for his life. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to return from Jerusalem, to return from Egypt and then live in the ghettos of Nazareth and have few educational opportunities and losing his step-pop at an early age. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to have his first cousin murdered at the hands of a tyrant. He knows what it's like to be oppressed and homeless and rejected and ultimately betrayed by his close friends. You serve a savior that understands. And ultimately, he was popped by the DA on an unfair trial. And then he had to go to trial for a crime that wasn't even a crime. And they put him on a cross between two thieves. The carpenter who would have fashioned crosses is now dying on crosses that he would have created. Jesus knows about your pain. There's not a situation in which you can experience that the high priest that's acquainted with our infirmities doesn't understand. But the beautiful thing is, is as he hung on that cross, he buried in his body all of our sins and diseases. All of our iniquities, all of the sins from the past, present, and the future, he took them upon his back on that cross. So now, after he's resurrected vindicatively, after he took off that white shroud and folded it up like an H&M shirt, after he put his hand on the tomb and moved it on out the way and stepped out with all power, now you and I, in the midst of our suffering, can approach the throne of grace with boldness. We can say, God, I'm hurting. God, you see my tears at night. You said in Psalm 56 that you catch all of my tears in a bottle. You know my pain. You know my anguish. But you don't stand there uh, apart from it, just sympathizing with me. Lord, you've experienced it, and I need some help from you. Maybe you have to help somebody that's suffering. Maybe you're a caretaker. Maybe you're somebody that's taking care of others. But we just got to have patience when you're suffering. Because you don't know what God is doing. I know that you thought about drinking yourself to death. I know that you thought about taking Xanax and perks and pills and just ending it all. And listen, Christ wants you to get some help, but, but just realize that he's doing something. Just hold on. Just be patient. With him while he's working this whole situation out. Just be patient with the Lord because you can't see what he's doing. You don't have a panoramic view of history. You don't know what Christ is doing, but I guarantee you. I think about those words that he'll never leave me Uh uh or forsake me. He'll always be with me. He's working in and through me to do of his good pleasure. But church, here's the thing. I don't think a lot of us are suffering like that. I think that a lot of us are struggling right now, not because we're suffering so tough, but because we've got this huge, we have these huge aspirations. We've got these big goals 
And it seems like God is just not making them actualize fast enough. Like, God, you're like, God, I'm ready for the platform. I'm ready to experience a new level. Here go my favorite. Lord, I'm ready to walk in my purpose. Come on in here, Jesus. And it's just not happening quickly enough. But in order for your purpose to be realized, you have to submit to the process of patience. You're saying, yes, Lord, I want it. Yes, I want my business to grow. Yes, God, I want my blog to blow up. Yes, I want to have all of these, all of these accolades at my job. But you name one person to me in Scripture that, that saw God do some miraculous things that didn't experience some pain first. Think about Joseph. Joseph had a dream that his brothers were going to bow down to him. He had this fly coogee coat that his dad made for him. He like, yeah, y'all all going to bow down to me. I'm telling you going to bow down. You know what they did to him? They threw him in a pit. Then they sold him to some Ishmaelites. And then when he got there, he was working in one of his master's house, and then his wife wanted his anointing. So then she... So then she hit him with a false charge, put him in prison. He gets to prison, interprets some dreams, and is there in the prison two years. And he's like, this does not look like what it is that you were promising. You said I was, you said when I had my coochie coat that all of my brothers and sisters were going to bow down to me. What happened to all that, Jesus? Yeah, 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 yeah. It happened. But not before he went through the process of experiencing some pain. You think about David. David was anointed king by Samuel. But after he was anointed king, you know what he did? went right back into that field and fought bears and lions and had to shepherd them sheep and still had that sheep, sheep smell all on him. It, was, it took some 17 years from the time he was anointed king to the time that he actually was installed as king. He had to show some patience. Patience. I love my wife's cooking. I do. She's a Nigerian. So she makes this delectable, delectable meal called jollof rice and pandit yam and puff puff. Oh, God, I love it. I even changed my, I even gave myself a, a, a Nigerian name, Oluwukimi. That's what I call myself. <laughs> Kobe Tunde. That's what I call myself. <laughs> but as she's cooking, she buys all the ingredients and they're laid out on the table. I don't go eat the raw goat meat. I don't go try the salt and pepper. I don't go and try to eat the unboiled rice. Why? Because I realize that those are all ingredients. In order for that meal to be good, those ingredients have to be combined in sequential order. Then they got to be cooked under some heat. And then they've got to be stewed a little bit and just sit on the pot for a little while. 
Then it's got to cool down. It's got to go through a process. All I'm trying to tell somebody here is some of us think that we're, some of us think that we're cooked meals when we're nothing more than unseasoned ground beef. Yes, amen, baby. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Unseasoned ground beef. You ain't ready yet. You ain't done yet. You still pink in the middle. If they poke you, blood will still come out. You got to be cooked a little bit. You got to, you, you got to experience the pain and the, and the heat and be washed a little bit. I love this church. I love this. Go, oh God, I love this church. My time is, my time is, come on, man. This clock is killing me, Gabe. Come on, man. I ain't halfway through the sermon. I'm going to finish on time so, oh, your pretty pastor won't yell at me. <laughs> Listen, you're in the process right now. But you know what's worse than waiting on God? Oh, I almost fell. I almost took an L. I almost took an L. You know what's worse than waiting on God? Wishing that you did wait on God. That's worse than waiting on God. When you try to be all quick and make things happen in your own power, and then you need God to come rescue you from the mess you created, you would have wished you waited on God then. But what does patience look like? James says, go to the farmer. He says, look what the farmer does. The farmer is plowing the field. The farmer is planting a seed, and he's believing that God is going to bring the rain. In other words, patience is not passive resignation. Patience is not you just sitting there waiting on God to do something. It's you working actively, using your skills and your talents with the hope that God is going to do some things, but I know I got to walk with him. Let me tell you this. Stop asking God to order your steps if you aren't willing to move your feet. You got to be willing to move your feet and believe that God is going to do something. But it's not just waiting there. It's actively involved. It's a gentleman named Ryan Holiday that wrote a book called Ego is My Enemy. And he said the reason, one of the big reasons that people don't see what they want actually happen is because they talk about it too much. They talk about it so much that they trick their brain into believing that they actually accomplished it. You hear me? You fool your mind into believing that you've actually done it when in fact you haven't done anything at all. Here we are in the first quarter of 2017. We had all of these great plans about what we were going to do in 2000 and the beginning of 2017, but we found ourselves quitting our resolution so early. We've just stopped. We're still getting that, that sleep at night. We haven't put together a business plan. We haven't thought through our goals. We haven't got on Google and looked up schools that we want to return to. We are just stagnant. But I hear Christ saying, You want to see some stuff. I need you to work with me here. Stop just thinking God is going to do everything. No, God uses, he uses human agency to manifest a lot of the stuff that he wants to see. Now, I'm not saying there ain't no supernatural power. I'm just saying we've got to get to work as well. And he says, look at the farmer. The reason that the farmer has beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, ham, 
Yeah, yeah, y'all thought I was going to bring that out. Ain't nobody think I was going to bring that out. The reason he got all of that, I don't know about dogs and all that. I don't need no dogs, but it's because he's out there plowing the field, believing that God is going to send the rain. And that's all I'm trying to tell somebody today is get to work, do what you're supposed to do and believe that our father, the Lord of glory is going to send the rain. He just says, and I'm closing here. He says, if you want to see a picture of, if you want to really see a picture of patience, you need to look to the prophets. You need to look to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was struggling with the unfaithfulness of God. And he said, you know what I want you to do, Ezekiel? I want you to lay on your side for 390 days, butt naked. Patience. He said, Hosea, I know you got a degree. I know you just went to seminary. You got an MDiv. But I want you to go marry one of them, um, them, eight, them um, IG chicks on the explore button chicks. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I want you to go marry one of them. And Hosea like, an IG, a video, Vixen Jesus? He, it, it, because he's saying, I want you to demonstrate how to be patient when someone takes advantage of you. And that, that mimics how it is that I love Israel. And finally, we look at the number 23, the goat of suffering. We look at Job, that was a wealthy man that had to bury 10 of his kids. Went to the funeral and preached a sermon. It was 10 caskets there, all white, with all of his babies that he had shown how to ride a bike. All his kids that he had shown how to be, his, his men, his sons that he had shown how to be men. All of them in, in the casket. His body has boils on it. He's struggling. His wife told him to curse God and die. He says this, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And I shall see him face to face. This is what he was saying, church, and I'm going to sit down. He says, I'm not going to allow what I feel about God to get in the way of what I cognitively know about God. See, because I know God is a Savior. I know that God is a healer. I know that he has mighty working power. I know that I can trust in him. Church, I promise I'm going to take my seat. This is my last thing I want to say. A few days ago, the carbon monoxide alarm was going on in my house, going off in my house. It was malfunctioning. So what I did is I called the police. The police ended up sending the firemen. The firemen had blocked off the whole street. I said to the fire chief, I said, sir, you really got here very early. You got here much faster than I anticipated. He said, why don't you come outside, son? I came outside. He said, he said, do you see these policemen here to ensure your safety? I said, did I do? He said, do you see the, 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 the EMTs here to give you some care? I said, I do, sir. He said, do you see the firemen here checking your house? I said, sir, I do. He said, the reason that these people are here is because you were in a dire situation. And you were in need of somebody to save you. All I'm trying to tell people today is, listen, you and I are in dire need of somebody to save us. Because we were living in sin. We were far away from the peaceful shores, living an ungodly life. But the master of the sea, he heard our cry. He heard us and saved us from our jettison situation. So all I'm trying to tell somebody today is, be patient. 
grandma would say, wait on the Lord. He knows what he's doing. He's working this situation out for his good purpose. Father, we do thank you. We honor you and love you today, God, for you are good. You are merciful. You are kind and compassionate. We pray that you will bless the rest of this gathering, dear Jesus. That you will be with us. Lord, help us today as we struggle with patience. God, we live in the Instagram, Facebook generation where information is at our fingertips. But Lord, it's hard to wait on you at times, God. It's hard to be patient, Lord, when you've been experiencing pain, when you don't feel like you used to, when your body hurts, when your mind seems or feels frazzled, when you're worn out. God, we're struggling. God, I pray for the folks under the sound of my voice today. Some people are riding on empty, Lord, driving on fumes, struggling with all type of hardship and issues. Lord, would you touch them right now? Would you give them great grace? Will you encourage their heart? Would you use the gospel as a means to encourage them, help them to deal with the paradoxes and pain in life? So, Lord, we thank you today. We honor you for your goodness and your mercy, for you are good and you are honorable. In the name of Christ, we pray.